Good morning, Moncton Wesleyan. It's great to have you here this morning. Why don't you grab your Bibles? We're going to look at James chapter 4 here this morning. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. We're continuing our series this morning entitled Roller Coasters Surviving the Ride of Your Life, right? And last week, if you were here, you would remember that Pastor Drew was here. And what did Pastor Drew speak on? Joy, that's right. Yeah, he talked about joy, that our lives ought to be characterized by joy, right? A joy that's aligned with God. This week, uh, our sermon is going to seek to build on this, and it's entitled, The Tyranny of Time. And it's intended to remind us that as life rolls along, like a roller coaster in our own lives, that maybe our common perceptions of time might be just a just a wee bit skewed. And so let's start this morning by reading that passage there in James chapter 4. And I'm going to read this morning from the New Revised Standard Version. James chapter 4, starting in verses uh, 13. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I think it's fair for us to assume this morning that at least some of you are familiar with a guy named James, uh, John Wesley. Have you any, anyone? Anyone heard of this guy named John Wesley? Okay. Wesley, 18th century itinerant preacher, traveled thousands of miles on a horseback, preached to scores of people, initiated a sophisticated strategy of small groups, and history would say was the lightning rod for what we actually call Methodism today. But I want you to hear, just for a few moments, an amusing little quote from one of his friends who wrote this in 1778. John Wesley's conversation is good, but he is never at leisure. He is always obliged to go at a certain time. And this is very disagreeable to a man who loves to fold his legs out and have out a talk, as I do. You know busy people like this, don't you? People, we might say, who are ruled by their watches. People who complain that they're constantly stuck behind slow drivers. (laughs) People who catch this, even in their leisure, oddly enough, find themselves somehow disconnected from what's actually taking place at that very moment. Physically present, yes, but their minds racing like a roller coaster forward towards what will happen next, the next meal, the next appointment, the next assignment, the next phase of life, the next ride, the next whatever. Do you know people like this? You know, we're just about to enter into probably the busiest, by far the, the busiest time of year for us all, the, the Christmas spirit and the Christmas season. It's, it's clearly arrived here at Moncton Wesleyan, hasn't it? And, and has, haven't some people done some amazing job making this place look awesome, huh? Great, great job. Yeah, absolutely amazing. 
And we're excited about Hub City Christmas. And we hope that you're inviting people out to that amazing event, December 21st through the 23rd. It's going to be awesome. We're excited about that. And over the next month or so, you'll have all kinds of different things. Christmas dinners and, and Christmas banquets and, and family gatherings. And so without a, get, without a doubt, you've just entered into, whether you realize it or not, that one of the craziest, if not the craziest and busiest time of the year. This morning then, at the onset of what will probably be the busiest time of year for you, I want us to purposefully step back just for a few moments and think about the way we understand time. The way we understand time. And maybe more accurately and frankly, the tyranny that a particular way of understanding time actually has over us. You see, for all of our talk these days about leisure and rest and relaxation, I want to contend this morning that for many of us, leisure is a myth. You with me? Leisure is a myth. That in this progressive age of ours, intended to save us work and time, that we are ironically and arguably the most frantic, unsettled people that the world has ever known. I mean, think with me for a minute, minute about some of the ways that we simply talk about time. Time is something, for example, that we take. We take time like we take a possession. And is it not common for us to talk about spending time? We spend time like we spend money on some sort of product or service. And we talk about seizing time, don't we? Like like an army seizes a territory or a land. Or we pass time like a distant runner passes a competitor. Take time, spend time, seize time, pass time. You can think of other examples, but notice in virtually all of them, We do not view time as our friend. We view time as our enemy. We struggle against time. We race against time. We try to free ourselves from the pressures brought on us by time because we've conditioned ourselves to think in this day and age that time is our oppressor. Time, see, is a tyrant. And we survive it Only by conquering it. By conquering it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, verses 16 and 21, there's a short little story there that is often used to illustrate the foolishness of attaching too much importance to wealth. I wonder, though, if this little passage, this little story, it doesn't offer us something else. A prototype, maybe, of our contemporary situation and our use of time. Follow along with me from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Then he, this is Jesus, then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And so he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. 
I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? (laughs) So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Here's a person in this story, a well-off farmer in this particular situation, who's made out rather well with a rich source of material wealth or resources or surplus. He's a farmer, and the crops have been exceedingly and exceptionally good. And so according to this particular parable, it says that there is so much crop that's actually there that this farmer is actually faced with a dilemma. What am I going to do with all this stuff? What am I going to do with it all? Where am I going to actually put it all? I want us to catch in this story how this farmer, faced with a dilemma, is inclined to solve his problem, but also what this farmer assumes will follow afterward. Notice that this farmer's first inclination is to spend his time tearing down his old barns and building new ones to do what seems like the logical and the prudent thing to do. Surplus, small barns, build bigger barns, and then catch this after the time is spent, after all the work is done, then and only then, sit back, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But in this story... Does the elusive dream ever become a reality? No. No. Because this farmer, completely unaware, hasn't grasped what you guys already know. That in the midst of our rush to force ideals about our future into our present that we cannot harness, nor can we control time, as we wish. Friends, is, that not, is it not fair to say that this farmer, then, is a prototype for our age? Seeking control. Attempting to conquer time. Trying to cram all the surplus into the barn. A restless movement from place to place. From, from experience to experience. But here's the thing, friends. If we choose to frame time this way, catch this. Time will always win, and we will always lose. Let's face it, time wins. It always does. If we fight against it, if we fight and try to fight against this whole thing about time, It will march on. Our kids get older. Our bodies stop working the way we want them to. Monday mornings always come. (laughs) Things don't stay the same. Our lives, like the scripture that we just read in James chapter 4, 
They're, they're like morning mists. They're here for just a little while, and then they're gone. You see, if we frame time as our enemy, as is the pervasive worldview today, I would argue, time will always win, and we will always lose. And so I suppose the question this morning is this. Is there hope? <laughs> what do we do with that? Is this the best that it gets? Are, are, are there other ways, Mike, to, to reframe the roller coaster of life? Well, the good news this morning, I want to present to us here this morning, is that there are, I believe, other ways for us to frame our lives. And I'd like to suggest this morning that the best ride of our lives this morning involves a careful balance of two very powerful forces, whether you're aware of them or not, that are existing, existent in our lives. It was Steve Deneff who shaped uh, this perspective for me several years ago. One of these forces is called providence, and the other is called faithfulness. Providence and faithfulness. Now, I wanna, wanna, what I want us to notice this morning is that it's our tendency to think about providence and faithfulness as two very different forces in our lives. And so it is in one world, in the world of providence, providentially, God does everything without us. God acts alone. God creates. God decides. God watches. God thinks. And in the world of providence... God has everything all mapped out because God is God and we are not gone. That's the world of providence. And so it is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, when the set time had finally come, God sent his son. Why it was this particular time and not another time remains an absolute mystery to us. All we know is that in the world of providence... God determined that the time was right for the coming of the Savior. But surely this was not our call. This was God's call. And so in the world of providence, we don't plan. Because we believe that God is completely in control in that world. That's the world of providence. And yet if in one world God does everything without us, in the world of faithfulness, God does nothing without us. God does nothing without us. In the world of faithfulness, God waits for us. God waits for us. God involves us. God, God invites us. In one world, everything is nailed down. It's a done deal. But in the other world, everything is up in the air and the future is unclear. And so it is in the world of faithfulness, we speak, we speak about our Christian responsibility to plan and to move and to speak and to respond in faith and to adjust and to collaborate because after all, God can't use us if we're not following him. And so in the world of providence... We do nothing, and we wait for God to move. But in the world of faithfulness, we do everything, and we're the ones doing the moving. Are you following me this morning? 
And so it is in any given situation, in any moment or, or conversation as Christians, we have this remarkable capacity, this remarkable ability to make an abrupt shift from one world to the other. But rarely, I'd argue, in a way that considers how those two worlds, eternity and humanity, engage and embrace each other in a wonderful, cooperative exchange. Where am I going with all this? Friends, I became convinced several years ago at a game-changing moment for me at Beulah Camp that a proper understanding of time, it involves a cooperative embrace of these two worlds, providence and faith working together. See, they don't have to be either or. Maybe, in fact, they're both and. Maybe, maybe the two worlds, they actually lean in on each other. Maybe one of the, the secrets of understanding our roller coaster of life on earth as Christians is about letting both of those worlds, providence and faith, work together. Work together. So let's flesh this out with might look like uh, well, with, uh, with a biblical narrative. Genesis chapter 12 is the, the call of Abram. God says in Genesis chapter, chapter 12 to Abram, Abram, leave your country, leave your family, leave your people, and go. This is what God says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. God leaves the specific details about the destination out, but God does make promises to Abram. God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation, and, and I will bless you, Abram, and I will make your name great, God says to Abram. Abram, you will be a blessing, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is providence. This is providence. God has charted out a, char, uh, a course for Abram. But the news sounds pretty good. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to be told this morning that you're going to be great? <laughs> uh, who, who wouldn't want to know that they're about to enjoy a direct blessing from God? But see, Abram here is about to learn something that you've experienced. That God has a tendency to give us an inspiring glimpse of our destination while leaving out the details about the frustrations and the obstacles and the fatigue along the way. You see, he tells you about providence and he'll wait till you're in the middle of things and he'll say things like, for instance, to Abram, Abram, there's going to be a major threat to your family. Or maybe when the king of the land that you're passing through, what will you do perhaps when they take a liking to your wife? Or maybe the time that Abram is called out by God to give up the very thing that he understands to be most precious to his future, his son Isaac. 
See, God waits until these moments to say, oh yeah, by the way, (laughs) this is the place for faithfulness. This is the place for faithfulness. I want you to think about it with me for a moment. Got to be believing this morning that in those moments, Abram is surely thinking, God, this could get really messy. (laughs) You're going to have to do something here, God, or it's game over. Surely in those instances, Abram wants providence to do all of the heavy lifting. But providence won't budge. Providence says, take your son and head to Moriah. It's time for a sacrifice. And so faithfulness is is forced to act. And sure enough, faithfulness gathers wood for the fire. Faithfulness builds the altar. Faithfulness, imagine it, binds the boy and takes out the knife. And right at the moment when the deed is about to happen, providence kicks in. Where did that ram come from? Where did that come from? You see, faithfulness arranges the sacrificial altar and providence provides the offering. Faithfulness responds to the reality that providence has created. Do you see it? Providence and faith walking together. Please hear me this morning. Providence will almost always lead you down paths that you would never travel if you were left to your own devices. Providence will often lead us into the desert, into situations where it seems like God is not in control. But friends, listen. It's in those places that we learn what faith and our roller coaster here on this earth is really all about. You see, it's in those places that we learn we don't have to have all the answers before we take a step. It's in those places that we learn that we don't have to have all of the answers. You see, providence leads us into the places that we would never go. And if faithfulness will cooperate, cooperate, It simply gathers the firewood that's needed for the day. Because faithfulness doesn't demand answers from God. It says, like James chapter 4, verse 15, if the Lord wills it, we'll live and do this or that. Yes, faithfulness prepares. It plans. It cooperates. It thinks but it moves in stride with the Holy Spirit in sync with God. Catch this. It lives fully present in the moment. In the moment. Friends, is that not an entirely different understanding of time than we often think? Against this notion of killing time as as an elusive enemy we're called to actually embrace time engaged with god in his redemptive project pacing ourselves with providence through intimacy and relationship with god 
recognizing that God gives us time to complete what he wants us to achieve in the time that he has given us to do what he wants us to complete in our particular lifespans, however long or short they may be. Twelve months ago, I need to tell you, I was struggling with all this. (laughs) Waiting. This whole idea of time. Truthfully, I was feeling very anxious and overwhelmed. Twelve months ago. Uh, I was a a full-time doctoral student at the University of Ottawa. I was in the midst of, of writing a difficult thesis. For me, it was, at least. I was 38 years old. I was the the married father of four kids, but I was also unemployed. Uh, I was nervous about my future. And I was feeling, frankly, like a very poor provider to my family. People would ask me, um, what are you going to do when you finish this whole school thing? And I I got really, really exhausted (laughs) and tired of telling them, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. See, in some respects, I felt like Providence had left the building. But I knew that faithfulness had a job to do. And so faithfulness compelled me to do what needed to get done. Nothing pretty about this. Faithfulness, see, led me to search long hours in job banks for job postings. (laughs) And faithfulness urged me to to self-discipline myself, not to physically get up from my chair until I had three pages written. (laughs) And faithfulness prompted me to fill out mind-numbing, mind-numbing job applications for teaching positions in academia. And faithfulness led me to send, among myriad other places my pastoral resume to the Wesleyan Church Atlantic District office here in Moncton. (laughs) Truthfully, (laughs) truthfully, there was nothing hyper-glorious or spiritual about this particular process. The truth is, most of the time, I found that process exhausting, boring, and monotonous. But below the surface, I can see now what I couldn't see then. That faith and providence were working together. And so it was on a particularly slow day this past March, when my writing was not flowing freely, I got an email from our amazing Moncton Wesleyan lead pastor. (laughs) Pastor Tim entitled the email, Checking In, and he wrote, Just checking in to see if you're open to chatting about a potential job at Moncton Wesleyan. Nine months ago, I wouldn't have dreamed (laughs) that I'd be standing here. I wouldn't have imagined it unfathomable for me. But friends, 
through faithfulness and by providence, we're here today, right? And so, friends, in closing, I want us to remind us, as we anticipate Christmas and all that Christmas has, that in whatever situation you find yourself, as you embrace time, not as a tyrant, but as a gift, that no matter the circumstances you find yourself in today, Providence, friends, knows where you're going. In fact, think of it, Providence has actually gotten to that destination before you have. And here's what that means for you. It means that whatever it is that you think you need to do today, or this week, or this month, or in the next year, that Providence has already gotten there ahead of you. (laughs) And hear this, we'll wait for you and be ready for you when you get there. Your responsibility is to get there and keep believing moment by moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And as we do this, I'm wondering this morning if there are those of you to whom this message perhaps has struck a chord. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you'd admit that, uh, that you're a bit exhausted. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Mike, yeah, this, this whole tyranny of time thing, I, I hear you, I, I get it. Christmas, yeah, I know. My, my schedule, yeah. Or, or maybe this morning you're in a place where you're waiting for God to step in. And that waiting time seems really long. And you're wondering this morning if providence has left the building. Your faithfulness measure is is pretty weak, but you're resolving today to keep it going. If any of this resonates with you, I want to pray for you this morning. We'd be glad to do this. And if that's you this morning, I'm just going to invite you to slip your hand up this morning just before we pray as an indicator of this. Is there anyone here this morning who would say that? Yeah. Lots of hands. Yeah. All right. Let's pray this morning. Gracious and loving triune God, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And and we come confidently and we, we come in faith because we recognize that you are the great God of providence and that you rule both heaven and earth. And so we approach you with wonder this morning can't even begin to comprehend this morning how awesome you truly are, your awesome power and wisdom, but, but we can trust you and we know that you do all things well. This morning, God, we recognize you as both the God of time and timelessness. Your word tells us that as heaven is as, that the heavens are far above the earth. And so are your ways above our ways. And yet, you are the God who comes. And Christmas reminds us of this. Thank you, Jesus, for coming close to us. Holy Spirit, you've seen the hands this morning. We believe, Lord, that there are those 
who are reaching out to you today. Pray, Lord, that you would affirm in their hearts that you've already actually reached out to them. In whatever situation people find themselves in today, provide them with a sense of your presence as they go. We recognize, God, this morning that each of us need you in our lives. You see our joys and our sorrows. You see our frustration and our fears. You see our strengths and our weaknesses. You see our victories and our failures. And in spite of all that amazing wonder, you still love us. And you still want to work out your will and your plans and your purposes for us. Collectively then as a church this morning, we thank you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name.